go to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. As I said just a moment ago, we're going to begin our study through Revelation. Uh, I debated not doing it this morning just based on the fact that I am going to be absent next Sunday. I won't be here next Sunday, and, uh, but um, I feel like maybe by the time we get to the end of today's, Nick may feel comfortable to go on into the next one. He may not. And okay, Juana's Awards next week, so that'll, that'll be perfect. But um, I did debate not doing it because I, um, this um, series today really leads in to helping us understand how we're going to rightly divide the book of Revelation. And I didn't want you to lose a week in it. And so I may come back, um, not next week, but the week after, and I may touch back on some of these just so that you can keep. Today is going to be very important to you so that you understand just exactly how we're going to follow along and we're going to see what is, uh, what is taking place and what the purpose is behind the book of Revelation. But if you would, we're going to read Revelation chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 20. We'll read the whole chapter this morning. If you have the means and you're able, I would ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you need to stay seated, that's okay. Revelation chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. All right, here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, I'm sorry, and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation, and partner in the kingdom, and partner in the patient endurance that are in Jesus. I was on the island of Pat, called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame, 
His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. You can be seated. Let's pray together, please. Father, we come to you this morning. Father, we want to rightly divide your word, and this is your word, Father. Lord, I believe you mean for us to understand it. And so, Father, I pray this morning that, that you would give us the understanding. I pray this morning that you would lead us through this, that you would show us what it is that, that you mean for us to hear today. And, Father, I pray that you help us to be faithful to, to keep it. I pray that whatever purpose you have in it, that it would be served. And I know that if you send your word forth, it won't return to you void. You will make it accomplish the purpose that you sent it out. And so, Father, I ask you to do that this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this revelation of Jesus Christ this morning. And, Father, I pray that you help us to rightly divide it. Lord, we love you. Forgive us where we fail you. But thank you for mercy. Thank you for grace. And we ask for these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I was... Um, studying through this and I began to listen to a few of my favorite teachers and um, I wanted to, um, to see some of their introductions and insights on this and one of them, his name is uh, Vody Bacham. Some of you may have heard of Vody before. But um, Vody mentioned in his introduction on this two surveys that he didn't name where he got them from but I, I believe they're accurate because I believe it would be true for our church. But one of the surveys was a survey that... that surveyed all the members of churches. And the question asked was, what book of the Bible do you desire to hear teach the most? And then a separate survey was given that, that surveyed the pastors and the teachers of the churches. And the question was, what book of the Bible do you least desire to teach the most? And would you believe this morning that the answer to both of those surveys was exactly the same? Anybody want to take a gander at what it was? Revelation. And just so you know, uh, that is revelation, not revelations. It is a revelation. So uh, um, if you don't learn nothing else, I do pray that you, you learn that this morning anyway. And um, I, I admit to you this morning that um, I have taught revelations, or, or at least certain sections of it. I've never took it and just went a gr uh, as a pastor and went through it and taught through it verse by verse. Um, and so I was a little bit hesitant to do this, um, primarily because there really is a lot to be interpreted here. 
Now, I'm not saying that it can't be interpreted correctly because I believe that it absolutely can. With the Holy Spirit's help leading us through it, we can come to a good understanding of what God means for us to hear in this. But, as I told you before, listening to three of my most admired teachers that are really all from the uh, similar denominations anyway, listening to those three most admired teachers and all three of them had different views on certain interpretations throughout the book of Revelation. And so because there is uh, so much that can be interpreted one way or another depending on how you see the timing of the book and when it was written, when it wasn't written, um, there, there is a lot up for interpretation. I do not believe that that is ever an excuse for us to say, well, we're going to stay away from it. We have an obligation to rightly divide and to make sure we teach the whole counsel of God's Word, and this be included. And so my prayer for you is that even though we're going to be looking through here and you're going to see different colors, you're going to see different symbols, you're going to see analogies, um, I don't want you to get discouraged. I want you to understand that I believe the Holy Spirit is going to teach us exactly what He means for us to hear through this book. And we're going to pray toward that goal. And I truly believe that if that is our prayer, that we're going to see that take place. Revelation is a letter that is written in apocalyptic and prophecy genre. And the reason the genre is important because um, if you go to the books of wisdom and you're wanting to read Proverbs, a lot of times we'll read Proverbs and we'll read it as if it were law. And we'll read it as if it is an absolute promise from God. Uh, for instance, we'll take a scripture that says, uh, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart. Everybody knows that scripture, right? But if we don't understand the genre that it was written in, that it is words of wisdom and not law, then we will take a verse like that, and sometimes a child will be trained up in the way that they should go. And how many of you know that sometimes, even with the best training, sinners go their own way, right? And so we have to understand that in that genre that it was words of wisdom. Generally, is it true that if we train up a child in the way that they should go when they're old, they won't depart from it? Generally, is it true? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are there occasions when it don't work out that way? Absolutely. And so we have to understand that when Solomon gave those and they were divinely inspired, it wasn't written as a law to you and I. It was written as words of wisdom for us to, to learn wisdom from it, to see the right path and the good path. Well, in this genre right here, it is important we understand that the apocalyptic and prophecy genre is a picture book in this. It is a book that details the author's vision, what God was given to John here in a vision. And it's given these details in pictures. And you'll notice at the end of this, he starts talking about seven golden lampstands and, and uh, seven stars in the right hand and one like the Son of Man with blazing eyes and bronze feet walking in the midst of the lampstands. But then at the end, he just says very plainly, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And the seven stars are the seven messengers. Some people interpret that to be a literal 
angel that God has placed over the church. Some people interpret that to be the messengers or, or the teachers that he has put in place over the church. I tend to see it that way more often than, than a literal angel. I believe he's talking about the messenger based on what you go back and try to rightly interpret the, the Greek that was written here. But one of the things that you see is that this book is written in a picture form. You think about it. He is showing us things that are in the spiritual realm. He's showing us things that our physical eyes have never seen yet. The only glimpse of the glorified Jesus that we have yet to see is what He reveals to us in His Word and what Peter, James, and John got to see on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so our minds cannot... He cannot just throw a picture in here and expect our minds to be able to go, Yeah, I get that. I see that. That makes perfect sense. And so he gives us a vision in a way that we're able to try to look at it and at least just get a glimpse of what it is that he's trying to get across to us. Things that our minds are not capable of seeing without prophecy, without him speaking this to us in the way that he knows that we can accept it. And so this is an apocalyptic and prophecy book. So don't be surprised when you see numbers that mean different things or you, seen, uh, or you see colors that may represent certain things or descriptive pictures that you see that represent different things. Um, one of the other things you'll see is that this is a book of prophecy. Look at verse 3 with me again. Blessed is he or the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. This is a book of prophecy and it is a book that declares God's inspired word to us for our growth and our perseverance in our faith. God means for us to understand this. And so don't read through it thinking, well, I'm not meant to understand this. Yes, you are meant to understand this. And we can understand this. But how many of you know that the Bible also promises that those who seek the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and mind will find Him? God does not reward Himself to aimless people. And so he says, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And so we get in this with prayer, with the desire to study it. And I believe with that kind of heart, we put ourselves in a place to understand and receive what it is that God means for us to receive in this. So it is a prophetic book, the inspired word of God spoken to us for our growth and our perseverance in faith. The goal of this book is laid out in the first few verses right here. So I want to spend... The first little bit, looking just verse by verse, because it shows us this is why God gave us this book. And as you get these goals, if you're taking notes, I pray that you'll write down each one of these goals. Because as you go through all the way to the end of Revelation, you are going to be able to, um, to understand a lot more of it based on the goals that He told you. This is why we wrote this book. This is the reason why God gave this vision. And so the first goal comes from verse 1. It is a book that is meant to reveal or unveil Jesus Christ in a way not yet seen. Let me say that again if you're writing. And if you want to write at the top of your notes, it is a book that is meant to. And then I put dot, dot, dot out beside of it because all of my points are going to come... Pre all of my points are going to come after that statement. It is a book that is meant to, and the first point, 
It is meant to reveal or unveil Jesus Christ to us in a way that has not yet been seen until this right here. And so look at verse 1 to see where I'm coming from. The very first statement says, The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a unveiling. This, uh, this, the, the name that we get revelation comes from a Greek word that was called uh, apocalypsis, I believe was how you said it. But it was a word that literally meant to unveil, to uncover, to peel down so that you could see something that was hidden. And so he says here, the apocalypsis of Jesus Christ, the unveiling, the revealing, the peeling down the layers so that you can see something that has not yet been seen. That is the goal of this book. God wants you to see Jesus Christ in a way that as of yet, your eyes have not seen Him. You have His life here in the flesh on this earth and you're able to look through and see Him in magnificent ways. But now He wants to reveal Jesus to you in His glorified form, in His full glory of Almighty God Himself. And He wants you to see a picture of it, to get a glimpse of it. And so the first goal is that we're going to see Jesus in a way. We're going to see the Lamb that was slain, but now in full power, in full dominion over all things, in full glory. You're going to see the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King of kings with all dominion. His eyes flash with fire. His face like the sun shining in full strength. Can you just imagine that for a minute? That's glory. Like the sun shining in full strength. His voice like a trumpet blast and like the sound of rushing waters and yet as clear that you can hear every word that is spoken. His head bearing many crowns. His robe drips with blood. Heaven's armies follow Him and obey His every command. A sword comes from His mouth. He is the King of all kings in all the glory of God. And you're going to see every little detail of that throughout this book of Revelation. The next goal. It is a book that is meant to show Christians things that must take place soon so that they might rejoice in victory and be prepared for battle. Let me say that again. It is a book that is meant to show Christians things that must take place soon so that they might rejoice in victory and be prepared to battle. Look at verse 1 again. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave Him to show His servants, Christians, the things that must soon take place. He means for you to see things that must soon take place. And when you get through the entire book of Revelation, you begin to understand that the reason He wants you to see these things is so that you can be assured of the victory for Christians in spite of the tribulation. You can be assured that there is victory in Jesus no matter how deep the sorrow gets in this life. Victory is coming. And then He also wants you to know that these things are coming so that you can be prepared 
for battle. And you can be prepared to maintain faith to the end. Remember, Jesus said, He who endures to the end shall what? Be saved. It is about the endurance of our faith, making it to the end. And He will persevere the saints to the end in their faith. So that is the second goal of this book. The third goal comes from verse 3. He says in verse 3, let me get there. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There's the third goal of this book. The third goal is it's meant to bring blessing to the reader. It's meant to bring blessing to the hearer. And it's meant to bring blessing especially to the keeper. This word is meant to be read, to be heard, and to be understood to the point that you can keep it. And if you are a keeper of this word, this word is meant to bring you blessing. And in this form right here, I want to go back to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 to show you what it means for a person that is blessed when it comes to the Word of God and what it does in your life. Psalm 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the, sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Here's the blessing. Listen to this. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked, or the ones that don't live in his word, the ones that don't hear, read, believe, and keep his word, the wicked, they're not so. But instead, they're like the chaff. They're like the chaff that the wind just blows away. In other words, when the trial comes, it just pushes them down. But those that read this and understand this and keep this book, they will be like a tree planted by the water. Literally, I hear God saying to us that the promise of blessing here is that you will have favor with God. That you will be in a place that... He can bless you. That you will be in a place that He can make you strong. That He can make you yield fruit in your Christian walk. And so there is a promise of blessing in this book. This is one of the only books that begins with a promise of blessing and it ends with the same promise of blessing. Blessed is the one that keeps the words of this book. And so there is a blessing promised in this book. So that's another reason to read this book. The fourth uh, goal of this book. It is a book that is meant to bring grace and peace to the churches. It's a, it's a book that is meant to bring grace and peace to the churches. Literally that grace is interpreted favor with God. The same blessing. It is meant to bring you into favor with God when you hear the words of this book, when you read the words of this book, when you keep the words of this book. It's meant to bring you into favor with God and is meant to bring peace. This is literally a quietness of the mind and a soul. Literally a all over peacefulness in you because you know that all things are in control of Almighty God, the one who has dominion over everything. 
and it's meant to bring grace and peace to the churches. Look at verse 4. John is writing this to the seven churches that are in Asia. <coughs> Excuse me. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. First thing I want you to notice about this. John says, this is to the churches. Right now it's beginning with seven of them, but we're going to learn here later that it goes to all the churches. But this is from John to the churches, and now he said, or John's writing this to the churches, but it is from, grace to you and peace from, this is a letter that is from him who is, and who was and who is to come. This is a letter from God the Father, the Creator. This is a letter from Him. And this is a letter from the seven spirits who are before His throne. That is a, another word for the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, you would be able to read that there are, are, are seven ways that the Spirit of God is manifested. And so here in this context, He tells us that it's the sevenfold Spirit of Almighty God. So this is a letter from God the Father. This is a letter from God the Spirit. And then finally, this is a letter from God the Son. Verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth, to Him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by His blood. So here's one thing that He wants you to understand in this. This letter is meant to bring grace to you, favor with Almighty God, with God the Spirit, with God the Son. This letter is meant to bring you peace from God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. This letter is, uh, just as a note here, I want to add this. This letter is Old Testament based. Now what I mean by that is this. There are some 404 verses in the, the letter of Revelation. It's 404 verses. I think I'd have to look back at my notes. I think that there are, 200 and, there are 278 references out of those 404 verses that reference back to the Old Testament. And so we're going to learn that you're going to find a lot of your interpretation in this by going back. And we're going to be doing that throughout this time. But that's where we find out about this sevenfold spirit here in verse 4. So it's meant to bring grace and peace to the churches because it is from God the Father, from God the Spirit, and from God the Son. And they say, I send grace and I send peace to the ones that we send this letter to. The fifth thing, I've only got six of them. The fifth thing that this book is meant to do comes from the second part of verse 5. 5b is what I called it. This letter is meant to be dedicated to Jesus. This letter is meant to be dedicated to Jesus. Go back with me to verse 5 and look what he says. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And look at this next part. What does it, what does it say? Instead of going from, what does it say next? To. So now we go that this is from the Trinity, and yet it is dedicated to Him. It is dedicated to the one who loves us, the one who has freed us from our sins by His blood. And so we see here that he, has, uh, that he has loved us, that He has freed us from our sins by His blood. Who's this talking about? This letter is dedicated to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means it's for His praise. It means this letter was meant for you to look at it and go, Praise Jesus. 
praise Jesus. Every bit of this through here, your goal in this is to look at it and go, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus for what He is, for what He has done, for who He is, for what He's bringing us into, for who He has made us, for where He has brought us in relationship to God to be. Praise Jesus. Every bit of it is dedicated to Jesus. And number six, this is the last goal of the book that I, that I see. I'm sure there's probably some more, but this is the last goal of the book that I see. It comes from verse 7. Look what he says in verse 7. Behold, He is coming. Here's the last goal of the book. To bring perseverance to the churches. You know, it's been some, again, depending on when you date the book, some date it before 70 A.D. in the reign of Nero. Some date it later in the 80s or 90s A.D. in the reign of Domitian. And depending on when you date the book, you're still somewhere around 60 to 70 years after the ascension of Christ. Maybe more. We know that John was an old man, and we also know that John was likely the last living apostle when this book was written. And so what we see here is that many years, for some of us, a lifetime has passed. And yet, Jesus has not returned. And here's what Jesus, or the Trinity, says to us. He says, church, behold what? Guys, God is not slack concerning His promise. But He is not desiring and not willing that any should perish, but that all of you should reach repentance. That everyone whose name has been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world, that every one of those find their way in. And so, he's not slack concerning his promise. Behold, he is coming. He is coming. And he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even the eyes of the ones that pierced Him will see Him. And then He says, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of Him. It is believed that this is talking about the wailing for the judgment that is coming, not the praise wailing. It could be, but it's believed that this is talking about the wailing of the judgment that He's bringing. Because let me tell you, the first time He came, He came so quiet that only a few wise men knew about it. The second time he comes, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. He's coming. He is coming. And so it's meant to bring perseverance to the churches. The outline of this book can be found in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Please keep those goals in your mind. You're going to need those goals to understand what he means for you to get out of this book. And so keep those goals. But this outline is going to be very important for you too. Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. Look at what he says. Write therefore the things that you have seen, the things that are, and those things that are to take place after this. So here's the outline of this book broke down in three things. You remember my goal, and every time I teach up here, is to try to zoom out enough. Sometimes we can get so far zoomed into a verse that we miss what he's actually doing. And so I want to zoom out far enough for you to see this thing broke apart. And the first chapter of this book 
as the things that John has seen. Literally, this is what Jesus has just revealed to him or the angel has just revealed from the Trinity about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you're going to be able to read the things that he has seen. That's chapter 1. The second part of this outline, the things that are. Literally chapters 2 and 3 are about the present condition of the churches. These are the things that are. So the first chapter we're talking about the things that you have seen. And some of that goes on into the rest of it too. But primarily you can break it apart. Chapter 1, the things that are seen, that have been seen. And then chapters 2 and 3, the things that are. This is the current condition of the churches. And he walks through the churches and he reveals things that he sees. That this is the way that it is. But then chapters 4 through 22 are the things that are to take place after this. That's important, after this. Because look at Revelations chapter 4, verse 1. In Revelations chapter 4, verse 1, what are the first two words of it? If you've got your Bible, flip over there and find it. Huh? After this. After this. In other words, you're fixing to begin in Revelations chapter 4, verse 1 with the things that are to take place after this. And so that's your outline this morning. So as we read this book, chapter 1, we're going to be focusing on these are the things that John has seen. Chapters 2 and 3, we're going to be focusing on these are the things that are. This is the present condition of the churches and the way that things are. And then chapter 4 through 22, these are the things that must take place after this. And so that's the way that we're going to go through this book with that outline. And as we go through that outline, you're going to keep the goals in mind. And if you can keep the goals in mind, I promise you, you are going to understand this book and you are going to get what God means for you to get out of this book. That's a guarantee. This morning, let's just do real quickly through the first part of the outline. <clears throat> the first part of the outline is found in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 9. Romans chapter 1 verse 9 are the things that John had seen. The things that John had seen. In verse 9, here's what John says. John says, I, John, nobody special. Now you think about this here. John was the disciple who Jesus loved, right? Y'all know that? Everybody, I don't know if that was the name that he gave himself or that's just what they called him. I tend to believe that's what the other disciples called him. He had such a relationship with Jesus. He was Jesus' one. And what I mean by that is Jesus had his, his 70 disciples and then he had his 12 disciples and then he had his three, Peter, James, and John, that he was always with. And then he had his one. His one was John. That was, that was his closest friend while he was here. He was the one that, that the disciple said, he's the one that Jesus loves, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's the one laid back on Jesus' breast at the Lord's Supper table. Uh, he's the one that when, when, Peter, when Jesus tells Peter the way that Peter is going to die, Peter looks and says, well, what about him? What about the one you love? And Jesus said, well, what if I should desire that he remain till I come back? What is that to you? You go and do what I told you to do. And so ultimately we see all this about John. All of his letters that he wrote as far as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Anybody know the theme of them? What's the theme? Love, right? John's a hippie. 
He's laid back. He's peaceful. He's, a, he's just a good, easy-going guy, best friend to Jesus. And yet here he is, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, Patmos I'm sorry, because he is a political criminal in Rome, and they put him on this island to be exiled from Rome because of the testimony of Jesus and preaching the Word of God is what he said. That's why I'm here. And yet here he starts out and he says, I'm just John. He's the last living apostle as far as we know. The last living apostle, and yet he looks at himself and goes, Hey guys, I'm just John. I'm John. And not only am I John, I'm your brother and partner in the tribulation. I'm your brother and partner in tribulation. In other words, in the same way that you're being persecuted, and you're going to see that in Revelations 2 and 3, in the same way that you're being persecuted, I'm right here on the Isle of Patmos because of my faith. I'm your partner in this. I'm your partner. I'm your brother in tribulation. But he's not just that. He's also the partner and the brother in the kingdom of Christ. Literally, because of Jesus Christ, he has took us out of the dark kingdom of Satan and evil, and he has thrust us into the kingdom of light in his Son. And he says, I'm your partner in that too. I'm your partner in the kingdom. And he says, I'm your brother and your partner in the perseverance of the saints. That's what he means when he says, and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. Literally, the ones that are fighting the good fight to maintain faith firm to the end. I'm enduring in this thing with you all the way to the end. I'm your brother, I'm your partner in tribulation in the kingdom and in this perseverance of faith. I'm in it with you. And then we hear... Um, John hears this voice like a trumpet. Look with me if you would at um, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Now you might remember in Exodus chapter 20 whenever the Israelites were standing at the bottom of the mountain and Moses was, uh, was going up the mountain and God was meeting Moses, the Israelites were standing at the base of it and God began to speak. And it sounded like thunders and lightning and trumpet blasts. So loud that when Moses came back down, that they looked at Moses and they said, Listen, you talk to God and we'll talk to you. But let not God talk to us lest we be killed. And ultimately what you see here is that in many places in the Bible, the voice of God sounded like a blasting trumpet. And yet for the ones that he was speaking to, Moses had no issue with it. John has no issue with it. He hears it very clear. And yet this is the sound of a blast of a trumpet is the way that he describes it in this. And so we have this voice that he hears and he turns. And when he turns, he sees seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of these lampstands, one that is like the Son of Man. Literally when you go back and you read the Greek on one like the Son of Man, it literally means one in human form. That when they looked at him... He was in a glorified form, but it was in the human body form. It was in a body that he couldn't describe other than saying it was shaped like a human being. And he said that he was in the midst of these seven lampstands. Now these seven lampstands we've already distinguished are the seven churches. They're just the spiritual picture of the seven churches. Now you think about this. Jesus said, you are a city that is set on a hill. 
No one takes a light and hides it under a shade so that no one can see, but they set it up high so that all may see by it. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Ultimately, us following Jesus Christ, the churches are the light of the world. And here they are represented spiritually by a picture of seven golden lampstands. And we could go back to the Old Testament to look at the temple and the lampstands. We're not going to do that tonight, but that's a good study for you if you want to go back and find that. But one thing you need to know, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The church is a city on a hill, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. <clears throat> seven is the number for completion in the Bible. Now, I'm not one of these people that gets stuck on every time the Bible says a number that it means something significant. That's not true. But in the apocalyptic and prophecy genre, many times it is true. And so in this, we see that this seven has a meaning. Now think about, think about this for just a minute. How many days uh, did God create and then He rested on which day? Seventh day, He was complete, right? Seven days, completion. Naaman was commanded to bathe seven times in the Jordan River to have complete cleansing of leprosy. He wouldn't have been cleansed if it had been six times. It was seven. Joshua marched around Jericho for seven days with seven priests and seven trumpets blasting in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And on the seventh day, they marched seven more times and then the walls of Jericho fell and they conquered the city. And so we see the number of seven in completion in those instances. In these and many more other instances, seven signifies the completion of something. Moses and Zechariah talk about God's command to have seven golden lampstands made out of one lamp for the temple or the tabernacle. And so the number seven signifies a completion many times wherever you see it in the Bible. But the seven churches here, if it represents completion, then here's what it represents. It represents the completeness of the body of Christ. In other words, this is not just for seven churches. It starts with seven churches, but the seven churches signify this is going to go out to all the churches. I'll prove it to you. We see this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Look, look at that if you would. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the what? Now if you were to go to the beginning of that letter to Ephesus, you would read, this is what the Spirit says to the church. And now we get to the end of the letter and he says, If you have an ear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We're not going to go there, but if you were to go to Revelations 2.11, you would read the same thing. Let everything that he says, if you have an ear, let him who has an ear hear it, what the Spirit says to the churches. And so this is about representing the completeness of the body of Christ. And here's what John sees. Remember the first of the outline. You write what you have seen. Things that you have seen. And so here's what he sees. Verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, literally chapter 2 tells us he was walking in the midst of the lampstands. That in all the churches Jesus is walking. Now you can't see it physically, but guess what? He's here. 
That's important. And then let's see what else we see in these, uh, in, in these symbols here. He was one like a son of man. In other words, he was in bodily form, glorified form, but bodily form nonetheless. He was clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. There are some people who believe that this is a kingly robe, and it very well could be. There are some people that believe this is the priestly robe that we read about in Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it very well could be. And I personally believe it leans more toward the husbandry robe. And what I mean by that is you remember the parable that Jesus told about the man that threw a feast for the wedding of his son, and he said, go out and bring people in to come to my feast. And, and he, after they went out and they got somebody, the, the man come in to check it out, to inspect it, and he looked and he said, there's a man in here that does not have his robe on. How did he get in here without his robe on? And they cast him out. And ultimately one of the things you see is that that robe represented the, the wedding garment. It represented the garment of a marriage. And in the book of Revelations, we read about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so one of the things I tend to lean toward too, and it, it applies either way. He is King of Kings, right? He is our great high priest, right? And he is the husband of the church, right? And so no matter which way you apply it, it still reads the same. And so one of the things that we can rest assured here is that Jesus is walking in the midst of his bride that he is beautifying and perfecting so that one day when they are with him it will be spotless and without blemish and he's walking through the midst of it right now and then he's our king and he is our great high priest and then in verse 14 the hairs of his head were white like wool like snow so what we see here is that Jesus has Infinite divine wisdom. It is believed here that this, and again, we don't know for certain, but it is believed here that the white hair, so white that it was like snow, represented the wisdom that he had. Old white hair represents what? Wisdom. And so here we are. I'm sorry if I offended anybody, all right? You can go home, dye your hair is all I can tell you. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. He sees Jesus in infinite divine wisdom. Literally, He is the wisdom of the church. He is the one that we are learning all things from. And He is walking in the midst of this church with infinite divine wisdom. And then He goes on next and He says, His eyes were like a flame of fire. So the next thing that John sees is that Jesus has deep penetrating insight. He can look through you and there is nothing that you can hide from Him this morning. You know what? I can stand up here this morning and fool you. You know that, right? I've done it. I've done it. I've stood behind this pulpit and know that I'm not right with my Maker. Anybody ever sit in that pew and know that you're not right with your Maker? You can fool anybody in this building. You can. But there's one walking through this building this morning that you cannot fool. He has eyes like the flames of fire. And he can see everything about everybody. You may fool me this morning. 
but you won't fool him. And that's important to understand. It's important that you see that because even though you can't see it physically, church, I promise you, it's happening spiritually right now. He is walking through the midst of his churches. And he is imparting divine wisdom and he is inspecting every heart and every soul and he knows exactly where it stands. And that ought to be motive enough for you to do something before you leave here. <clears throat> he has deep penetrating insight. And then next it says that he had feet like burnished bronze. Literally, looked like it had been refined in a furnace. There was no impurities to it whatsoever. It had been refined in a furnace. And so what we see here, some people believe that this was opponent-crushing feet, that this represented stability. And again, we don't know that that's exactly what it is, but how many of you know that it's true? How many of you know that in the book of Psalms, I wish I could remember which psalm it was, but you could Google it real quick and find it, those of you that have Google. But uh, he said, come sit here next to my footstool until I put all of your enemies under your what? Under your feet. These are opponent-crushing feet. Listen to me this morning, church. There is no opponent that you face in here this morning that he cannot crush. That's just the facts of it. If you're sitting here this morning and you think there's no hope for you, you're caught up in some kind of addiction, pornography, or something else, and I'm just, I, I am a lost cause. Anybody in here ever felt like a lost cause? Let me tell you this morning, there is no opponent that you have that he cannot crush. None. And so there is opponent crushing feet here in this Lord. The next thing we see is that he had a voice that was like the roar of many waters, literally majesty and powerful in his words. When he spoke, man, you knew it was him. You knew who it was, like roaring waters. And then last, look what he says next. <clears throat> in his right hand he held the seven stars. I pray this means the pastors of the church. I pray it does. I don't know that it does, but I know he's got me in his hands, whether it's his right hand or not, right? But I pray this means the pastor of the church this morning because this verse, this verse right here just brought grace and peace to me. This verse right here just brought blessing to me. He, in his right hand, he held the seven stars, the seven pastors or the seven messengers of the church, whoever they might be. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Literally, what you see here, you remember in Hebrews he said that his that his word is like a two-edged sword. It cuts even down to the bone and to the marrow. In other words, it is so powerful and it is so sharp that his words can get down to your deepest cancers and it can cut out everything that does not belong. This is the God that we walk or that walks in the midst of our congregation right now. And then finally, it's in fullness of glory. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Anybody in here able to look at the sun in full strength? That's what John saw when he looked at him. He said he's got a bodily form. But I can't see his face because it's so bright it looks like looking into the sun in full strength. <clears throat> he, he, he is a kingly high priest that is our husband that walks through this place. He has um, um, divine wisdom that he imparts to everyone that is a part of the churches. He has 
penetrating eyes that can see into the depths of our deepest sins and our deepest hurts. He is a, he is a God that, that He is able to have opponent-crushing feet and there is no opponent that He cannot destroy. His words are so majestic and powerful that they come like a sword that cuts down and takes everything out that does not belong and He is here in His full glory. So bright that it's like looking at the sun in its full strength. And this is who walks among the churches this morning. <clears throat> now remember, one of the goals was that <clears throat> we want to reveal and unveil Jesus Christ in a way not yet seen, right? He just started that. Another goal was he wanted to show Christians things that must take place soon so that they could rejoice in victory and that they could be patient and be prepared to battle. Another goal, he wanted to bring blessing to the reader and to the hearer and to the keeper of it. He wanted to bring grace and peace to the churches. He wanted to dedicate this to Jesus Christ and for His praise. And He wanted to bring the church into perseverance as He did this. And this morning, here's what Jesus says to you. As the things that John saw, He wants the church to know through John that He is here. Guys, this is not just some weekly traditional gathering that we are doing. Jesus Christ is here in full glorified form in the midst of you this morning. He is here and He is here to impart wisdom to you. Infinite divine wisdom. And yet some of us can't stay awake. And He wants you to have wisdom. He is here this morning and He has the pastor, Lord willing, in His right hand. That says a lot to me. He is looking at every single soul right now. Right now where you sit, the Lord Jesus Christ is looking at you with flames of fire in His eyes. And He knows everything there is to know about you. And right now, He has the power to crush any opponent that you face that keeps you from surrendering to Him the way that He's calling you to. And He has majesty and power in His words that bring truth and judgment. And it will cut out the deepest cancers that are in you. And here in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, this is my closing. This is it. Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, this is what it says. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am what? How often? Even to when? Listen to me, this is Jesus Christ telling us in Revelations. I ain't forgot my promise. I have not forgot my promise. I am with you this morning. And I'm here to walk among you and to work in you and to do in you what I have called you to do. As we get ready to go through this book of Revelation, I pray that, um, I pray that you keep that in mind. 
that He is here with us and that no matter what we get into to interpret, He has infinite wisdom. He has divine wisdom. And He will help us with everything that we need to see. And in the process of it, He'll bless you. And in the process of it, grace and peace will come to you. And in the process of it, He will be with you always, even to the end of the age.